Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Hello, everyone. I'm Claire Kumar, Productivity Catalyst, and your host of NAPO Standout, the podcast to help you better your organizing and productivity business. Now, I don't know if, like you, you've been following the TV shows over the year that have really brought organizing and productivity solutions to life. I followed first NEAT up in Canada in the early 2000s, and then I found Clean Sweep, Mission Organization, on and on and on. And I am thrilled to share with you today a conversation with Peter Walsh, who's been a host of numerous shows. Enough already, another one. He's worked with television queens, Oprah and Rachel Ray. If you're in Australia now, you will know Peter from his latest to show Space Invaders, which involves organization, renovation, and treasure hunting. I love that. I'm guessing you all know Peter, but in case you don't, I'll share a little bit more about him. He's had not only a mega successful television career, he's been a prolific writer with titles such as How to Organize Just About Everything, which is just about that thick. If you're watching the video, that's over two inches thick, this book. I have it. It's it's fantastic. It's all too much. An easy plan for living a richer life with less stuff. Does this clutter make my butt look fat? (laughs) And let it go, downsizing your way to a richer, happier life. I remember fangirling when I first met Peter. I was at the Home and Houseware show demonstrating a product that I was bringing to market in a booth there. And Peter walked by and I was swooning, I'll tell you. I'm still swooning. And that was eight years ago. I'm thrilled to be here with Peter Walsh, who's joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to you, Peter. Let's swoon together, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm swooning on you too. So great to see you, Claire. How are you? Oh, really good. Happy in the summer. Happy to be in a great pause in this pandemic and where we are. And really excited to have you to talk about, I want to hear about Space Invaders, this show that you're in now. Because you've had this mega career in watching these really real life reality shows about getting organized evolve. What's happening in this show and what compelled you to make it? It's interesting. Having started with Clean Sweep in 2003, it was one of the very first shows about organizing on TV. And I think it's been an interesting journey all the way now to Space Invaders. I'm loving Space Invaders because it very much focuses on the psychological aspect of organizing and decluttering. And it adds the components not only, as you mentioned, of renovating, but also of looking at treasures in people's homes. Because one of the interesting things that we've discovered in Australia, and it's true everywhere, is that Australians have on average about $6,500 worth of clutter at a minimum in their home. And if you stacked up the amount of total clutter in homes in Australia and put them into storage boxes, you would have six storage boxes high surrounding the entire coastline of Australia. So the amount of clutter in homes in Australia is enormous as it is everywhere in the world. The issue of clutter here 
is the same in every country in the world. Flood is a big issue. The focus during COVID has been that more and more people are looking at decluttering their homes. And so Space Invaders has become the show that people are looking to, to get a little control in their spaces and to really turn their spaces back into the sanctuaries that they want and love and need. And we're showing them how to do that in really a simple way and in a focused way and also showing them simple techniques for renovating their homes in a way that makes sense. So it's giving them really ways to declutter, ways to renovate, but also ways to take simple things and upcycle them or how to find things that might be of value that they didn't realise, pieces of furniture, antiques, and everyday things that might be of value that they can really turn into cash from their clutter. I love it. So there's so many benefits. Not only are they going to get this home that they're aspiring to, their renovations, I'm figuring that they look at optimizing the space to perhaps store things that they need to or to better use it. That's amazing. And then this upcycle opportunity and, and bringing some cash back in, there's a nice motivation to get people to think, no matter what their motivation is, to actually get on the project. Well, and I think the other thing too is that one of the big focuses of the show is that people feel so overwhelmed by their clutter. And we've decided that in every show, we really tackle this issue of start small. This is how you can actually just get started because so often it's the feeling of being overwhelmed that stops people. And the other aspect that we tackle in every show is to take a different type of clutter or a different family situation. So a single mother, a migrant family who's struggling with the old world issues and moving into a new social and cultural setting, the empty nesters, the family with a lot of children. So a different cultural, social or family setting, a different type of clutter in each setting, whether it be behind closed doors clutter, technical clutter, every different type of setting you can get so that families are saying, viewers are saying, wow, you're looking at a type of clutter that I can relate to so that People see that all clutter is not the same, but often the underpinning things, trauma, abuse, isolation, are often the issues that really the themes that run through clutter time and again. And I think that's one of the great things that media and TV have brought to the clutter discussion, that it helps people understand that the clutter discussion is not about the stuff but it's about the underlying issues. And it's not until you deal with the underlying issues that you can actually help people declutter and get organized. And that is a wonderful way to really sum up the value of what we do. It's not fancy cleaning service. This is a deep life overhaul. I'll never forget the episode I saw of you with Mackenzie Phillips and that connection to traumas. In that scene, there was a desk that she had and she had really heavy old memories attached to that item. And it was very, very freeing for her to be able to let that go in rather a dramatic fashion, if I recall. It's funny that I think one of the things that as professional organizers, we have often struggled with. And I remember I actually got into quite a heated discussion. I think it was at a NAPO uh, talk I gave where I said one of the difficulties was that people often saw us as high-class cleaning experts. And people took objection to that. 
But it's true that many people who engage us will say, well, if you could take care of this room and I'll just go and do the shopping, that that's not what we do, that we don't act as your agents to clean your space, that we act as agents to help bring you through the process of helping you tell your story and understand your journey by dealing with your things because it's your things that help you understand why it is that you can't let go of your things because your clutter tells your story. What are the memories you can't let go of? You know, what is the trauma? Your stuff has power. And Mackenzie Phillips' desk where she used to sit and inject herself because of her addiction or the books that you can't let go of because they represent a dream you had of becoming the great American author or the kids' schoolwork that you can't let go of because that's when you saw yourself as having the most important value to your children. Until you can understand that, you won't be able to let go of those things. And if the client sees you as just the person who will dust and clean and let go of those things for you, you aren't helping them to deal with those issues. So if a client sees you as just a cleaning agent, neither of you understand your role. True enough. Absolutely. I love that you bring that up because I was always trying to upvalue the concept of organization from a strategic point of view and also from a coaching perspective. There's this relationship. The client's got to tell me where we want to go, but we have to work together to get there. And the knowledge that organizers and productivity coaches have is phenomenal but it's a discovery together with the client. It's not a, yes, yeah, like you said, you go shopping and don't worry when you come back, it's taken care of. I love words. I love the etymology of words. And organize and organic come from the same root. And if you think organic means to become whole, you know, if we want to eat more organically, we do that because it's healthier, organic, whole, human, complete, and that's what an organizer does. It helps people become more organic, more whole, more human, more complete, more one. That's what we as organizers do. We help people move closer towards that wholeness. There's a beautiful spirituality to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's what we do. In some ways, we are agents of the spiritual in some ways. I honestly believe that. We help people open themselves to a fuller life. That is in many ways a spiritual journey. And I think one of the things that we do is we often give people permission that they will not give themselves. If you think about that, that's what we often do. I can't let go of this item because my grandmother gave it to me. I mean, what a horrible sense of obligation. Would someone who truly loves you force you to hold on to this ugliest of ugly piece of brown furniture? No way. And if you say it like that to someone, they'll start to cry. Like, would you force your granddaughter to hold on to this friggin' ugly brown armoire? No, I wouldn't. Would your grandmother want? They start crying and say no. Then if she was standing here, what would she say? She'd say, you stupid girl, let it go. And somehow you give them permission that they would not give themselves. What a wonderful releasing thing that is. And in some ways, 
as I say, often in cases, we give people permission they would not give themselves. I often describe that's what I do, even in the coaching around productivity and something as simple and profound as sleep. It's like, you know what? You can tell them your coach said to take a nap in the afternoon. I need to, I do need to do that. Okay. I'm going to take that nap. You know, it's, it's, it's super powerful. And that has nothing to do with color coding shirts (laughs) or organizing a filing cabinet. What are you doing? That's outside your province. You shouldn't be doing that. That is exactly what you should be doing as a productivity coach and an organizer. But that has nothing to do with alphabetizing my recipes. I know. Or, you know what? I need to manage my time better. I need a task list. I need to know what software to to put my task list in. I'm like, okay, I know you come to me with that question, but let's dig deeper. Let's let, you know. Exactly. And so it's peeling back and and figuring out what what are we really looking at? That's it. That's it. And that's the fun. And that's the joy of being a professional organizer. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why we deserve to get paid well for this. So, you know, to, to keep the value of what we're doing up because mm. it is life-changing, spiritual work, opening people up, letting them live their best lives. And that's, that's exactly uh, it. pretty priceless. That's exactly it. I could not agree more. In your show, Space Invaders, because there's treasure hunting going on, how do you talk about this letting go and also this mix of honoring the things that are sentimental to us, meaningful to us, and that we do have space for, but maybe we haven't been honoring. Does that come up for you? Absolutely. If there are things, one of the things for me that is a huge part of my philosophy is don't tell me something is important to you if it's not treated with honor and respect. That's super important. In my book, actually, Let It Go, a huge part of downsizing is actually finding the treasures in your home. That's a super important element in any part of downsizing. And so as a broader part of helping people deal with the clutter in their home, one of the big focuses will always be finding treasures. Now, treasures aren't necessarily items that are of high financial value. More often than not, a treasure has nothing to do with financial value. It has items that are of high emotional and historical value to the family. So They're always items that we pull out and are always treated with honor and respect. So they might be framed or find a place somewhere to be displayed in the home. So that's one treasure. Then the other items that might be treasures are definitely items that are of surprising financial value. So in some cases, I think of one case where we found four limited edition prints that were by an indigenous artist here in Australia that were of significant financial value that the family didn't know. And so the discussion is with the family, would you like to, they didn't even realise what they had, would you like to keep these or would you like to sell them and put the money back into your home? They kept them, so we framed them and they were displayed in the house. In another case, we we found $28,000 worth of old currency, original Australian currency, in clutter in the garage. $28,000. So they had that turned into new cash and that was put into their child's university fund. In another case, though, there was a woman who had separated her husband after 30 years of marriage, had left her, was having an affair and left her. She went on a buying street buying linen for the master bedroom, which she never slept in. She'd spent $36,000 on bed linen, which she never used. And we tallied that up, it was $36,000 worth. And she decided to donate all of that to the Salvation Army. Wow. 
Yeah, so it depends. It depends on their choices. So in that case, it was a lovely act of donation and generosity to a charity. So if it's an element of treasure, of emotional treasure, we always make sure it's honoured and respected in the renovation. If it's financial treasure, the family have a choice whether to have it displayed as part of the renovation or to have it monetized and they can use the money either towards the renovation or back into some way that will benefit the family or they can choose to have that monetized and go to a charity. Yeah, I love it because this is great storytelling too. The surprise, what have we got here? There's somebody in Ontario where I live who discovered a David Bowie painting at a Salvation Army type thrift store and Mm -hmm. and paid $5 for it. So these are certainly stories that make news and make money for you sometimes. I would have kept it. I would would have been blown away, but yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, so there's always, you know, uh, Lucas, the treasure hunter on the show, there was uh, one family where there was this beautiful mid-century modern light fitting and they didn't realize, you know, it was worth about, it's an original mid-century piece and it was worth about $15,000 and the family didn't know what it was. And they decided they would keep it and give it another family member. So, you know, lovely little discoveries like that, pieces of pottery or other items like that that they had but didn't know what they had. It's always a fun piece of the show. Yeah, it's like Antique Roadshow hits the organizing, right? It's funny because because Lucas was on a show in Australia here called Aussie Pickers. Okay. There was, was, um, you know, a Pickers show in America as well. He's He's a fun hilarious guy. It's good. Well, and, and the knowledge that these folks have is quite yeah. stupendous too, right? This, this sense of history and artisanship. Well, and- it, it's often a counter against me too, because for me, it's like, this is clutter. Let's get it out of here. And for Lucas, it's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? No. It's like, Lucas, please. It's, and so he's going through the trash and I'm trying to just get it out. So there's often a, let's call it, um, Fun friction. Let's call yes. it that. Yes, I was thinking artistic friction. tension. This is. This. That's, I'll use that artistic tension. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being optioned for a show here in Canada, and the idea was to pitch design and organizing, and this was an idea I was looking at because the organizing is eminently practical and really honors how you really live. And sometimes design is getting fancy and looks oh, good. Oh. And that's where backless seating comes for, from dining tables and clear oh. desks. The cords didn't disappear, so they're going to be there. The show didn't get off the ground, unfortunately, but it was that tension. But there's always, for, for every show I'm on, where there is a, because there's always a design component and an organizing component, there is always that tension. Always, always, always. And between the designer and the organizer, and that's part of the thing that I love. And I always acknowledge that up front with the designer. You know, on Clean Sweep, I was the organizer and there were three different designers. And I would acknowledge that up, particularly with new designers. And on this show, Cherie Barber, who is a very well-known designer and home renovator here in Australia, I acknowledge that up front when I first meet them and say, look, I want you to know you and I are going to go head to head sometimes and there's going to be friction. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, I love working with you. It's going to be great. And it's like, no, because there's going to be times where yep. you're going to say, I want this to be completely clear and open. And I'm going to say, we have to bring what the family are left with back into this room. And I'm going to say, 
I need storage on this wall. And you're going to say, no, I want this clear and beautiful and open. Uh, uh, uh. Well, exactly. I remember having this discussion with my in-laws who love them dearly, but they were redesigning their bathroom and they chose a sink with open shelving underneath. And I said, that's not how you live. Like that's not, it's not going to look like that. They went ahead with it anyway. And the, the thing is they don't mind looking at all the stuff. So it totally works, but it's not going to look like the picture that you that you saw on Pinterest, you know? That's exactly it. That is exactly it. And so on all these shows on TV, not all of them are real. A lot of the stuff you see on TV is not real and nothing that you see on Facebook is real. <laughs> yeah, let's very throw that in too. <laughs> and very little of what you see on Pinterest, very little is real. It's interesting that in the early days, in the very early days of Clean Sweep, there was a lot of tension between professional organizers and TV, you know, in the early days when I think viewers were unsophisticated, a lot of professional organizers felt that TV shows, you know, Clean Sweep in particular, and me specifically, were doing professional organizers a disservice because we were creating unreal expectations. And to a point that was a very fair criticism, Clean Sweep's motto was two days, two rooms, $2,000. Plus there was a team of 2,000 people behind me that you didn't see on TV. But the great thing about those shows was that they created a heightened awareness of the role of professional organisers and the place of professional organisers. TV audiences have become far more sophisticated now and understand that there is a team helping. And so I think TV shows do do a great service in helping people understanding the role. Audiences are far more sophisticated. I think there are shows like Hoarders that I'm still not a big fan of that create unreal expectations. But I think people understand that bathrooms are not necessarily made over in 24 hours and things like that. But I I think that overall TV has helped the industry enormously. Yeah, I think it's empowered a lot of people to think it's possible to make the changes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And stimulated people reaching out for help too. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. The viewers become more sophisticated as we've seen what's going on. And yeah, TV takes a lot of energy to produce. There's a lot of filming that goes in to making a good minute of TV. So, Well, you know, I think on Space Invaders, I shoot, the piece that I shoot takes place over two days. So we shoot two days worth of footage and my piece is cut down to 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being on set for 10 hours in a garage. Um, this was for a money show. And I think I, it, it ended up being a minute. And it, it was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating experience. If anybody's yeah. interested, I urge you to get involved because it's just, it's really wonderful to work with teams who know what they're doing. And, That's it. Right? It's so fun. This is part of my challenge now is I've always worked with production teams. So I'm like, where's my team here? Yeah. <laughs> but see, one, one of the difficulties also working in TV is that, we spoke before of tensions, you know, how there's often a tension between designer and the organiser. The difficulty with TV that people often don't realise going into it, and that's one of the things I love about Space Invaders because as an executive producer, I have far more control over style and content now, is that TV is a visual medium. Often one of the problems is that the tension can be between story and spectacle, that often producers will want spectacle and will go for spectacle over story. And if you as an organiser end up caught in that vice, you can very quickly be in all kinds of trouble with a producer. 
because they don't care so much about story. They just want spectacle. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you end up with an inexperienced young producer who are going just for spectacle, then suddenly you'll find yourself under-resourced, over-committed with a massive mess on a short timeline and at the mercy of an inexperienced producer. And that's where TV can really do you harm. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of stress. Yeah. 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 I was just asked to do something for a brand for it this fall and it's an office makeover type thing. Yeah. And what they were asking for was unreasonable for the budget yeah. and the time. And it was just this is what I can do and here's the time and this is this is what I can do. So some pushback with some real sense of what it's going to ask of you in terms of time and energy and running around the city and mm-hmm, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. you need to do. You need to look at it really carefully. I love that you're in the executive producer role in this. I didn't know that. And and that's fantastic because you, you do get this voice to shape story and spectacle. So I'm going to ask you the interesting question then is how are you balancing it out when you're creating this show? How do you play with those two? A lot of the show was my partner and I basically were involved in the concept right at the start. Being involved right from the get-go in terms of working on the concept gives you an opportunity to basically be involved in working up the concept and then working with a production company to bring it to fruition. So it basically means that you have a role in putting the concept together and then seeing it to fruition. So right from the very start, you have a chance at every step of the way to okaying the concept's kind of development. So it, it just means that that you get to sign off on every step of it. So it just means that you then are kind of the gatekeeper to make sure that things don't go off the rails at every stage. And obviously you have to give and compromise on different things, but on the key things that you want in terms of the execution of the idea, in terms of the the approval of families, in terms of the the size of the jobs, in terms of the days of shoots, in terms of the choice of crews and so on. You have a say in those. And especially here where you know the production company as well and you get to work with people who you've worked with before and trust, suddenly there's a whole kind of family atmosphere and exchanges with people who you know you can rely on, then you're very involved in the whole decision-making process. So that makes a huge difference in terms of the end product. And you can see that in the way that the show is cut and put together and aired. So it does reflect the values that you have as a professional organiser and the people who are working with you share the same set of values. I think the show is one of the best I've made. We've shot 10 episodes. It's enjoying significant success here. They've also sold it into a couple of territories as well. One of the funny reactions they've gotten back from overseas is that the production companies they've showed it to have said, yeah, but how long has it taken to do the the sort, you know, going through all the family stuff after they've taken it out of the home and put it into the other space, but how many days has it taken to do that? And the producers have said, well, two days, you know, you see that on camera and the people they're selling it to have said, yeah, but how long does that really take? And they've said, two days. Yeah. Yeah, but really how long is it? Wow. Two days. So they've been kind of astounded. The amount We go through a massive amount of stuff in two days. We go through a lot of stuff in two days. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. 
But that's 20 years of experience, you know. I we, was going to say, this is yeah. this is the culmination of all of this, yeah. this long, yeah. rich career and learning yeah. as you go. You can't, Bottling that up, that's magic, to, you know, to infuse into a show now. I tried to find Space Invaders, but because it's not in Canada, I can't see it. So I was... People yeah. who followed the stuff I've done in North America are really frustrated by the fact that you can't see it. And I'm getting emails and stuff on Facebook every day from people who are like, what? Like, this is not fair. Yeah, it's tough. But in time, let's cross fingers that it makes its way over here and that we'll be able to watch it. So I want to ask you one last question, really, is do you have a fave story from your all of your television experience? Is there something that stands out that, wow, that was, that was just a really memorable experience for whatever reason, spectacles, story, whatever part of it? I can tell you an Oprah story. Mm-hmm. I can do a name drop story and I can tell you this story because she wrote about it herself because normally I wouldn't talk about Oprah, but I'll tell you a name drop story. I was at an event where Oprah was, sorry, Oprah was at an event where I was. <laughs> Let's reframe this. Who's telling yeah. the story? <laughs> um, and um, she was at a time where she was renovating her house. I tell this story because she's a really lovely person. And one of the questions I'm asked I'm most asked, even to this day, is what's Oprah like? And I always say she's exactly like you would want her to be. We were chatting about something and she was renovating her house at the time. One of the things, if you read anything that Oprah writes in her magazine, one of the things that she most loves to do is to have long, luxurious baths. It's her thing. I don't know why, but it's her thing. And when she first got a lot of money, she had made for herself, carved for herself out of one huge piece of onyx, a bath. God knows how much it must have cost. It must have cost, God knows, anyway. And we were chatting and she said she's having her home redone and she has this onyx bath and she just can't get rid of it. And her designers and the architect all say it doesn't belong in the new house and she should just get rid of it. And she wrote about this story, as I say, so I could Mm -hmm. tell the story. And she said, you know, she realizes it doesn't belong in the new house and she should get rid of it, but she just can't get rid of it. And I said to her, so when you look at this onyx bath, what do you see? Like, what does it represent to you? And she stopped dead in her tracks and said, oh, well, it just represents, it just, I look at that bath and, I see just was the first complete splurge purchase I ever made. And it just represents all my success and the fact that I came from absolute poverty. And that was the first thing I ever absolute just didn't think about the money. And I just bought that. And when I look at it, I see all my success. And I said, well, there you are. That's why you can't get rid of it because if you let it go, maybe you think all your success will go too. And she kind of looked a bit shocked and shaken and we finished the conversation and about a month later in Oprah magazine, this is what I know, this story was written and how she'd had this conversation with me and she went home and had the bath taken out of the house because she realised that it wasn't about the bath, it was about what the bath represented. And it really made me realise that she is no different from many of us, that the stuff we own always has power and it's not till we understand the power of the stuff that really we can make 
kind of an informed decision about why we can or can't hold on to things. And, you know, we're all exactly the same. The stuff we own has power and it's not till we understand the power that we really understand ourselves. And it is a name droppy story, but it just illustrates that we're all exactly the same. It illustrates that and it illustrates the power of a professional organizer who's really sensitive and in tune with the client to be able to say brave things and to notice. So yeah, it's a beautiful story. Thank you. Mm, Thank thank you you. so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me and all of the people who are going to be diving into this episode and just learning. Everybody, I do want to say you're going to want to check out our YouTube clip. Come back for another question. That'll just be on the YouTube platform. But right now, I do want to just thank you so much for the people that are listening right now. For those of you, you know, if you're listening, I always invite you to check out the other podcast episodes, napopodcast.com. There's so much learning and riveting conversation there. And as you continue your journey, stay safe, be kind and enjoy that journey. That's all for today's episode of Stand Out, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.